Welcome back to the In-Laws Podcast. I'm Brianne. And I'm Sophia. We're two law students who created this podcast to talk about law school, law talk, and everything in between. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the In-Laws Pod and our law school pages at Law and at Brianne and Law. For this week's episode, we have two special guests, and it's been a while since we've had any guests, so we asked Charlie, who is at Legally Charlie on TikTok, and Liliana, who's at Moe's Tavern on TikTok, to join us on the pod today. They're both Canadian law students, and Charlie's actually studying in the UK, and we've been mutuals with them for a while. Like, you guys are some of my OG followers. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll open the floor for Charlie to introduce herself, and then Liliana. Hi, I still can't believe I'm here, but hi, my name is Charlie, um, and just like Soph mentioned, um, I'm a Canadian, but law student studying in the UK. Um, kind of weird how I ended up in the UK, but it ended up working out, I guess. Um, and yeah, just like Soph mentioned, I feel like I've followed you and Brianne for so long now. <laughs> I feel like I'm an OG follower, but yeah, that's really it. And I went to University of Toronto. I, I gotta mention it every single time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I'm Liliana. I'm a Canadian law student um, in Toronto, born and raised in Toronto, go to school in Toronto, and I'm a 2L, and I'm so thankful to be on the podcast here. I love contributing to the conversations, especially as a racialized person, so um, thank you so much for having me. It is. We really all have been following each other for so long. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like literally, I feel like I've been following you guys for like years now. <laughs> I feel like I know you guys at this point. I know. <laughs> All right, let's get into the the meat of this conversation. The first question I think we want to start off with is, why did you go to law school? Yeah, um, I hate this question because I feel like I don't know how to answer it. Um, I think law school because I just really wanted to. Um, I actually wanted to be um, a pediatric surgeon in high school. I don't know why. So specific. I was like, I'm going to be a pediatric surgeon. I think this was in like my Grey's Anatomy phase. Um, And then I realized that I'm horrible at math. I was like failing grade 11 math and physics because no one told me physics is math. Um, And I'm like, maybe this isn't the place for me. Um, And so I took a grade 11 law class and I really fell in love with it. I felt like it came um, naturally to me. I found it really fun and just interesting. And my my law teacher actually selected me to be in a mock trial competition. And so we went to the courts, um, downtown Toronto, Superior Court, and we were, we had to play both defense and um, prosecution. And I just loved it. I was like, I want to be doing this. Um, And so I always tell him that he's the person who inspired me to get into law. And we're still in touch today. And he's like, I'm going to be in the courtroom, your first trial. And I was like, oh, sir. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so ever since then, I think I've really just wanted to go to law school and be a lawyer. And um, my father was incarcerated when I was young. And so I think that also kind of pushed me to get involved with more like criminal justice and studying criminology in my undergrad. Um, and yeah, so I think that's kind of my story. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like my story is kind of similar as well too. Like from a very young age, I always knew that I wanted to be a lawyer just because I liked having debates I liked like advocating for other people but then as school started I was like mm, maybe I kind of want to do something else I actually want to become a dentist 
which is like completely different. Yeah. And then just like just like um, Liliana, <laughs> I got into the sciences and I was like, okay, the sciences kind of humbled me a little bit. So I was like, yeah. never mind. So then I went to University of Toronto, got in for criminology, did that. And then again, I kind of was like, mm, maybe I do want to be a dentist. Like I even went back to high school and like upgraded my marks and everything. I was so excited. And then I got in and then I also got into the paralegal program at the same time at Durham College. And then I did one year of Durham College for paralegal. And then during that summer, um, I had an internship that was actually at the courthouse. So when I went to the courthouse and then I started seeing what they were doing, I was like, wait, I'm going back to my first love. <laughs> so then that's when I was like, yeah, no, this is it for me. I- I'm going to go back to doing what I want to do. So I actually dropped out of the paralegal program and then applied to law school and yeah and and then ended up in England wow I feel like there is such a such a stem girly to law school pipeline right yeah because I don't know what I was thinking yeah (laughs) I had a tutor and everything me too I did my homework every night And I was like, why don't they understand this? No, honestly, I had a tutor and everything and I still wasn't getting it. Like, I felt so dumb and I was like, you know what? Maybe this just isn't for me. And I gave up. So funny. I Yeah, I went through the same thing. I, I In high school, I was stacked with like advanced placement sciences. I was taking chemistry, physics, bio, math. And I was like, this is me. I'm going to be a surgeon. And I was like, oh, <laughs> really like humbled super, super quickly. Um, and then just when I took law class, it just seemed like it just came to me. I didn't have to try like super hard. Um, yeah, and it was just nice to be around people who had similar interests. Okay, so since you guys are international students compared to us, and then we're international students compared to you, (laughs) but TikTok is just like super saturated with American law students. So maybe if both of you can kind of touch on the application processes for Canadian law schools and then like UK law schools. Yeah, um, I guess I can start with applying to Canadian law schools. It's pretty similar. We still have to do um, the LSAT, um, letters of references, uh, personal statements, and transcripts. Um, So that's pretty standard. Schools will differ in terms of like how many um, references they accept. I know like U of T law doesn't accept any personal references and other schools do like three as opposed to two. Um, But it's a pretty standardized process. I feel like the difference um, with Canadian law schools compared to um, American law schools is um, we don't have like unaccredited law schools. Um, to, to have a law school, it's a really rigorous process that a university has to go through to even like start a law school. And there are so many like provincial and federal um, requirements and then also requirements by the Bar Association and um, the Law Society of Ontario. So a university can't just like open a law school and be like, hey, we're, we're doing this now. Um, so I think that's the uh, the main difference. And I like that because wherever you apply within Canada, like, you know, you're going to be getting a quality legal education. Like there isn't like that notion here. I mean, if you look on Reddit, like there is a notion of like there being like worse schools. Um, And I definitely hear that conversation um, in and around even like my hallways at my school. But genuinely, 
wherever you choose to go within Canada for law school, you're going to be getting a really great education and employers are going to be seeing that. Like they're not going to look at you and be like, oh, you went to that school. Okay. You're, we're not hiring you. <laughs> like that's a questionable like legal education. Um, so I think those are like the main differences, but in terms of like the application process, it's, it's very, very similar. Like we have our application system. It's very expensive. The application fees, all of that is pretty much the same. Okay. Since the provinces are so spread out, how many law schools do you think there are, like approximately? I think there are 14. I might be mistaken, but I think there are just 14. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. that's so much less. Like so yeah. much less. And and we there are more in Ontario. I think Ontario has we have a new law school that just opened, I think, two years ago, which was huge. Um yeah, Ryerson or yeah, Toronto Metropolitan University, I guess now. That's so different than I think we literally have 200 accredited and that there are even more that are not accredited. And it is like a huge problem, the unaccredited schools, because they really do just prey on like non-traditional students not knowing what the accreditation really means. And yeah, like what does it mean? I, I never really fully grasped that. So to be to like sit for the bar exam and be able to get your license essentially in America, you have to go to an accredited school, like an ABA accredited school. So like if you went to an unaccredited school, you just can't write the bar. So you just went to school for three years and you can't write the bar exam. Yes. Yes. So wait, what's the point of going to a non-accredited school then? You're just getting that education, but not getting called to the bar. There literally isn't a reason to do it. It's just like these money businesses. Yeah. So awful. Yeah. It's really terrible. That's actually crazy. I know. Because like, what's the point then? (laughs) You're wasting your time and money. Mm -hmm. There's some people who will go through an unaccredited school and then go back and go to an accredited school. So they'll literally go through a lot two times. Oh my God, I never. I can barely survive it once. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously. You could not pay me. You could not pay me to do this over again. I'm like, I still have a year and a half left. Are you kidding? Literally. I have a couple months and I'm still thinking about it. I'm like, maybe I should drop out, but I'm making deep. I contemplate my life every other day. I'm like, why did I do this to myself? Too far in. Yeah. So, um, but the process, I guess, since Liliana was finished off with the Canadian part, um, in the UK, it's kind of the same thing as well, too. Um, but they ask you as well for um, academic references. So just like Liliana said, they don't want any personal references. Um, but it is different here where you don't have to write your LSAT. Um, I did sit through the outside. I did apply still in Canada, but I still ended up going to the UK anyways. Um, but it's the same thing. The cost is a lot less and you can apply to a lot more schools. Wow. I believe in Canada when you're applying, I think you're applying for only three. Where here it's bundled and you get like to apply to six schools. I don't know exactly how many schools there is in the UK. Um, but yeah, they're all accredited same way back in Toronto. The only difference is, is that when you, if you'd like to practice back in Canada, you'll just need to sit additional um, exams just because technically you're internationally trained. Um, but other than that, the process is pretty much the same. You pay 
your transcripts. Um, the only thing that really differs is they'll ask you for like your volunteer, your resume and stuff like that. But if not, it's it's fairly the same, to be honest with you. It's mm-hmm. not much different. Yeah. Yeah. There's no schools here that like once you're done, like you can't be a lawyer. There, there's none of that. <laughs> They're all accredited. <laughs> Yeah, the applications here were quite expensive. I think they're like a hundred each. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. you can apply for fee waivers um, if you are like low income. And what I appreciated about, I think it was UFT's law school. Um, if you received like this, if you've ever received this grant during your undergrad from the Canadian government, they automatically gave you um like free like yeah a fee waiver so you didn't have to like apply to do any of that they would just automatically give you um a fee waiver which was really nice um yeah but it's, I didn't know about these waivers when I applied yeah I didn't either until <laughs> after I was like oh my gosh I spent so much money it was so bad oh that's so yeah. interesting because it's actually in America it can be really hard to get fee waivers yeah really and I didn't know this when I was applying. I applied for fee waivers and I got denied, even though I was like, it's still a thing. Cause even in Ontario, like I'm from the same province that Lillian's from as well. And like, even me just getting financial aid because both of my parents were working in the government. Although like I had a little brother that was in school as well too. I couldn't even get like aid just from the province. Like we had to get it like separately. I couldn't even qualify for just that. So I knew that even those fee waivers, I probably wouldn't. Like they're restructuring it now to make it more accessible. But yeah, no, for the first one year, first year and second year of my undergrad, it's your parents' income that they look at. They don't look at your income. So I didn't qualify automatically right off the bat. I got a $0 estimate. Wow. See, I probably for our provincial um, financial aid. So we have provincial and federal. Um, so OSAP, Ontario Student Assistance Program, um, that's our provincial. And then we also have federal um, grants and loans. Um, so I did qualify for um, our provincial and federal one because my mom makes like no money and she's a single mom and I have a, I have a sister as well. So um, it was oh, it was just so upsetting because I remember when I first started university, we had a, um, a premier. I don't know what the equivalent is in America to, to a premier, but like the leader of our province, um, her name was Kathleen Wynn and she was committed to having free, um, tuition for low income students. So under like the certain threshold, you would have free tuition in the form of, uh, grants that would cover your entire tuition. So I was like, yes, I started, uh, university. I was like, I can't believe I'm going to graduate debt free. Like, this is amazing. And then I think it was second semester of my first year we had Doug Ford, um, the new leader, a conservative leader of our province, who was like, yeah, screw all the poor people. We're cutting that initiative. What we're going to do instead is have like a 10% reduction in tuition. And I'm like, okay, but if my tuition is whatever, $6,000 a year, what is 600, like, what is $600 doing for me? Like nothing. Right. So he scrapped the free tuition um, and 
just did the 10% tuition reduction. And I had friends who actually had to take time off because they weren't able to afford school. Mm-hmm. Um, they had to like leave to actually work to save money. Um, and my like loan to grant ratio like shot up. Like I was receiving no grants. Like I'm not want to say no grants, but compared to what I was receiving before was like nothing. And still even to this day, I'm receiving way more student loans than I am grants. It's just like, I still look back on that day and I'm like, I hate people for voting this man in. Uh, I'll never forgive them. So bad. I feel that. In the U.S., we have something like, I guess the federal equivalent would be like the Pell Grant. Mm-hmm. But the Pell Grant, it maxed out at 5500 right? Yeah. And you have to be like real poor. Yeah. Wow. So I got the Pell Grant all four years, but it's 5,500 out of in-state tuition was 28,000. A year? Yeah. For undergrad? Yeah. Yeah, ours are really expensive. And that's what? That's a pretty inexpensive program. Yeah. The, I went to the cheapest public school in my state and even then, like without any of my scholarships and all that kind of stuff, I think it was around like 16 grand living on campus. But then once I moved off, it like went down to like eight grand. Wow. Yeah. Um, my tuition for my university was around 6000 a year. Um, so that's insane. No, that was the cheapest, um, cheapest school I could go to. 10000 a year. Ten thousand, yeah, that's like, U of T is like the most expensive school and law school in Canada. Like, I think it's forty thousand. Yeah, I, I, for U of T, forty thousand yeah. is the most expensive. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys know that? Like, do you know what like Harvard and Yale law are charging? <laughs> curiosity. I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know. Okay, it's over eighty. Yeah, a, a year. year? Yeah. Wait, that's for undergrad or for law school? Law. Oh, my God. Yeah, no. But I, I've heard that, like, Harvard's financial aid packages are really good. And so that, like, for lower income students, they end up paying, like, significantly less for tuition. I don't know if this is true, but I saw um, I saw an article. It was, like, the average student is paying around, like, fourteen or 15000 a year after financial aid. Is that true? Um, yeah. So the general consensus is like, if you get into one of those private schools that has a really high tuition and you are low income, you end up paying almost nothing. Wow. Um, But like, I got the Pell Grant and I got need-based grants and I got scholarships in undergrad. And I think I was still paying probably... 10 or 12 a year wow yeah like my law that's school a lot tuition, yeah that's a lot um my law school tuition now I think is around 26 or 27 thousand I think it's like the second most expensive law school in Canada um and the financial program is like it's not great like I'll take what I can get but like there is some work that needs to be done for sure. Like when your tuition's like 20, 26 or 27,000, you're only getting like three or 4,000 for the year. It's just like, 
Now I have to come up with 20 grand myself on top of, you know, living expenses, especially in Toronto. It's so expensive here. I'm still paying a lot for rent, but I have a good, it's considered a good deal because I got it during COVID. So when I tell people how much I pay for rent, I pay $1,700 a month. I have a one bedroom. I live alone, but like, that's considered a good deal for my city. Um, And it's like, it's so expensive. That's, it's so odd that, I mean, my law school tuition is less than that. Ours is $23,000. And that is like in-state at a public school at, Mm. you know, one of the oldest public, the oldest public school in the country that like prides itself on low in-state tuition. But like, it's so odd that there's, in in Canada, the law school tuition is so much higher than undergrad because it's kind of comparable here. Yeah, it used to be a lot lower, but... um... I think it was U of T that decided to um, up their tuition one year and then a bunch of schools followed suit. Um, Outside of like the cost differences and stuff like that, what are the grading systems like? And maybe how does like the sense of competition compare? Because I feel like we end up talking a lot about that because shit just gets crazy at school. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe just like some school culture stuff, because I want to see if that's different, you know? Yeah. Um, Charlie, do you want to start? I feel like I've been starting first a lot. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. Um, so the grading system actually in the UK is a little bit different when it comes to marking. Um, so their marking scale, like normally, you know how it's like zero to 100. Here it's zero to 90. So there's that 10% that's like kind of missing, I guess you can say. So it's either between you get a zero to 49%, I believe is a fail. And then from 50 to 59 I believe is what they call a 3-1 which is like a third class and then they have the 2-2 which is like the second class and then 2-1 which is the upper division and then first class is anything from 70% up above Um, but in England it's a lot different than in Canada because in England they can actually go to law school right after sorry they can go to law school right after high school they don't need an undergrad whereas in Canada you need to do your undergrad or be a mature student to go to law school So the competition here is not as much, I guess you can say, or it's not as like felt like you still have those gunners and those sharks that like, you know, want to make it known that they know everything. But the culture is significantly a lot less pressured, I guess you can say, because like not anybody can get in, but it's not as competitive as it is back in Canada. So it makes it a little bit more relaxed, but not too relaxed. Um, so yeah, but then after that as well too, it's like, although I'm getting the same education as Leanne and I'm studying the same thing, it's like, there's kind of that notion that, oh, you went to the UK, you couldn't go to law school here. So that's why you went there. But employers are slowly but surely like starting to steer away from that because a lot of people are just coming here because it's a faster process, to be honest with you. And it's just easier to get through it. But yeah, the marketing scheme is a little bit different, but somewhat similar, but not as competitive. But there's still those gunners because they're even in undergrad. They're everywhere. You, you can't avoid them at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, for my school, we have a grading scale and that's set for the entire law school. So in every single course that you take, I'm just reading it off the website now, um, 10 to 15% can get an A, um, 60. Okay, let me just say this because it can range um it can vary i think up to five percent but so 
15% have to get an A, 60% have to get a B, 20% have to get a C, and 5% have to get a D. But that can range. Like, there's discretion with the professor. So most of my classes, I think, like, 0% get a D. So as long as it's within a plus or minus 5 range um, for each of those um, percentages, then it's fine. Um, and then I think only one-third of the class um, can get a plus grade. So there's A plus and A, we don't have minuses. So only one third of the class can get an A plus out of the A group. Um, so you walk into every class knowing that, you know, 60% of us are gonna get a B, 20% of us are gonna get a C and 15 or 10 to 15% are gonna get an A. Um, so that helps, but also hurts <laughs> because sometimes you can feel discouraged that like no matter how hard you work, chances are you're gonna get a B. Um, even if you try like, really hard and depending on who's in your class if you're in a class with like the gunners because my school separates the incoming class into four different um small groups so it depends on like who's in your class they say it's randomized I really don't think it's randomized but um yeah so if you're in a class with like a bunch of gunners like chances are you're just going to be a b level student which is fine but um it's also nice because there were classes where I just really didn't care about and really just did not understand um and so it felt comforting knowing that like even if I don't try super hard I'm still probably gonna get a B um so I don't know I feel like having the curve um can foster the sense of competition because there's so limited spots to get like an A or A plus or B or B plus um, but I think my group, my small group that I was in, like, we were really great and supportive people. Like, we were the ones who were like, who needs notes? Like, in our group chat of, like, 75 people, we were sharing notes if someone was, like, sick or missed class, um, sharing our textbooks, sharing our summaries for classes, um, and even just, like, helping people out with topics they didn't understand. So I felt my group was really supportive in that way, and I didn't really feel, like, that sense of competition, um, but I know in other groups, I heard other like horror stories of people just being like super competitive and not willing to like share any notes or share share any sort of knowledge or anything, which is fine. Like I know some people don't want to share notes. It's their work product. Um, but yeah, my my group was just very um, just really nice. I, I feel like my my school has a, a good culture. I, I don't feel like I um, I mean, they're obviously immature people wherever you go and obviously drama like law school is very much like high school in a way especially if you go to like a smaller law school um it can very very much feel like I'm back in high school with the kind of like drama that's going on but I think overall the the sense of culture is like it's pretty good it is kind of cliquey not a lot of like intermixing but eh, I'm just here to get my degree and go man like <laughs> I'm not paying this much to make, you know, tons of friends and whatever. Like I'm literally, I'm paying to go get my degree and that's it. Um, okay. Next, we kind of wanted to get into jobs mm -hmm. and especially for Charlie, since you are international, like you probably had to get like a student visa, work visa, that kind of stuff. So if you want to go into that a little bit, and then maybe we just kind of go like across the board, like what are the job prospects? What is it like looking for a job? And then um, summer job experience. For sure, for sure. So honestly, I was very fortunate. Um, the visa process was very humbling um, because being that I had a Canadian passport and like I've traveled a lot, I never really had to get a visa. 
So getting my student visa was hell. Like, honestly, um, it actually, not that many people know that, but it actually got rejected on the first whip. And I was mm-hmm. like, but I'm Canadian. I have the funds. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, I was so confused. Um, but there was something wrong in my travel history that I had to fix because they wanted, like, the last 10 places that I had. Sorry, the last 10 years of my travel history. And everybody who knows me knows that I travel, like, at least once a month. So going back 10 years, I literally had to open up my passport and like look at every single stamp and put it in there for immigration. Wow. So luckily it got approved. Everything went through. That was fine. Um, the job part, again, very fortunate. The lawyer that I actually work for right now, I connected with her on Twitter. Um, she is back home in Canada. So I am working internationally, like remotely with her. Um, but before I did leave, I was working as a legal assistant and she actually was really nice, very understanding that I had to come for school. So she's kind of holding my spot for me back in Canada. Um, so luckily in the job sector, I didn't really have to struggle that much, I guess you can say. Um, but if I did want to find something in uh, the UK, it wouldn't be hard also either because I am already on a student visa. Obviously, during term, I would only be allowed to work 20 hours. But after that, you would um obviously they would have to help you get a longer one so that you can work full-time hours um but getting into the firms here i will say are a lot more competitive than they are back home that's for sure um because in the uk there's a lot more global firms and they call them like the magic circles which i'm sure you guys have in the states as well too um and the process is rigorous like literally just an application i kid you not will maybe take you like an hour because they're asking all these questions they're asking your transcripts and then Two weeks after that, they'll actually send you like an assessment. And from that assessment alone, if you don't pass that benchmark, you're not getting in. Like right off the bat, they're denying you and being like, yeah, like we're done with you. So, Mm. and these are like logic games. Like they're like literally like, oh, this is a situation. What would you do? Like if a partner came in and you already had something and now I'm throwing this on your desk and like you think it's obvious, it's not obvious. It's like the LSAT all over again, where you think you know what you're doing, but you have no idea what you're doing. So luckily in that part, job-wise, like I kind of set myself up before leaving just because I knew, again, that there is still that stigma a little bit with um, internationally trained lawyers. But again, luckily, both firms that I do work for, um, they're both internationally trained. I just fell on my lap type of thing. So that wasn't hard. But definitely getting that student visa was very humbling. So just quick shout out to my parents for moving to Canada because I definitely appreciate the passport a lot more because my goodness, I couldn't imagine getting a visa every single time I had to travel. I think I would just stay home. Like it was very humbling to say the least. Yeah. Um, so I know here um, we have something called the 1L recruit. So this is like the summer after 1L. Um, and it's, I think, just in Toronto. It's super, super competitive. Like there are only 16 positions available um, for everyone who want, like ev- all of the law students in Canada who want it. So it's very, very competitive in that sense. Um, The 2L recruit is a lot better. So it's a formal recruit um, run by the Law Society of Ontario. So it's highly regulated. There's so many rules um, and procedures. So we have, obviously, if you apply, you do your application, you submit your resume cover letter. 
And then the firms like have a date that they can communicate to you by. So they can send these things called like intent to calls where they'll email you and be like, hey, we intend to call you on this day to offer you an interview. Um, so you'll get those emails. Um, and then you have OCIs, which are on-campus interviews, even though they're not on campus. I think historically they used to be on campus, but now they're like on Zoom. Um, but yeah, so on-campus interviews. So you have, I think it's like two or three days of just whatever interviews that you got. Um, and they're like 17 minute, like speed date interviews back to back to back, depending on how many um, you accept. And then after that, they'll, you know, you wait, I think it's like three weeks or like a month or something. And then they'll offer you like these infirm interviews. So that's like the second round where you're meeting more of the partners, the associates, uh, managing partners. And that's, I think, three days as well in November. Um, and then same thing with like the email. It's horrible. Like you do it. It's like all day interviews back to back to back for three days. Um, and then you have to send thank you notes. Like they, they say like, oh, you don't have to, but if everyone's doing it, yeah, you have to send the thank you emails addressed to all the interviewers. I even forgot some of my interviews. Sorry. I had to go on their website and like, whose face do I remember? Was it you? Was it you? Like that was horrible. Um, then you send the emails and then, um, they communicate to you like, hey, we want you to come back for round two tomorrow. What time are you available at? Just, it's just awful. Um, and then, oh, another part, sorry, I, I know this is all over the place, but one horror story I had was like, and this is a horror story for everyone participating in the recruit, but before you schedule your infirms, the firms, again, will call you and they all call you at the same time. I think it's like 9 a.m. on the same day and they will literally call you all at the same time. So you have to like set up call waiting on your phone so that you don't leave the firms like hanging on the line and it just sent, it just sends them straight to voicemail. So you have like a planned list of when you want to schedule your firms. Um because like maybe they sent you an email saying they're going to offer you an interview. So you answer the phone and it'll be like a firm that you didn't expect. I had a firm call me. I literally was radio silence from them since I applied. I didn't even know that I had gotten an interview. They call me and they're like, hey, like we'd like to have you for an infirm. And I'm like, I literally did not have them in my schedule plan. So I, I had to say no, which was like, I said no, because I was like, I have firms that, you know, gave me the time of day and like I have them in this plan. And you don't know the order they're going to call you. So maybe you wanted a firm at 10 a.m. on Tuesday. The firm calls you and they're like, yeah, we don't have 10 a.m. on Tuesday. We can only do like 3 p.m. on Monday. And you're like, so it's just that for 10 minutes. And it's in rapid succession. Horrible, horrible, horrible. And then after the infirms, on the last day of infirms, there's like a blackout period. Like the firms are not allowed to like talk to you. You're not allowed to talk to anyone at the firm. None of the students can communicate. No one can communicate with you or they can get a, in a lot of trouble by our law society. And then offers come out at 5 p.m. So like they will, again, call you all at, if you have multiple offers, they will call you all at once at 5 p.m. on the dot. Um, and <laughs> yeah. And then you have like 24 hours to um, accept or decline the position. But it, it's just, it sucks because if your top choice doesn't call you first and the firm's like, hey, we'd like to offer you a position, then you're going to have to be like, oh, yeah, like, let me think about it. Like, yeah, let me, thank you. I'm so grateful. Let me think about it. And right away, they know that they're not your top choice. So it's just horrible, horrible stuff. Um, and even in the interviews, like, they'll ask you questions that are like, they're, that they're not really supposed to ask, like kind of where they rank in your um, kind of 
ranking of firms. So like you, it's so crazy. I know. So like, it's crazy. Like even using top choice language. Um, so if like, there's a firm that is your top choice, like using top choice language or like, it's just insane. It was crazy. So I did that, that process. And I, it was unlike anything I've ever done before. And just seeing the firm switch from like, Hey, why should we hire you to like, Hey, like, we love you. Like, what can we do to help you was also really crazy, but it was like three days of nine to five interviews. Um, almost pretty much except for the last day. Okay, I thought it was hectic. That sounds absolutely horrible. Hell, it was hell. And then you have all of like the other students participating in the recruit too. Um, So like there's like all that competition and even firms would have like events um, on Zoom and you go to the event on Zoom and you literally see your competition. Like they put you all in a Zoom room with all the people you're up against. Like it was horrible. And before COVID, like, these firms would invite you for, like, the dinners and lunches. And there was even, like, unspoken rules about, okay, if you um, agreed to have dinner with the firm Monday night as opposed to a firm, um, like, lunch on Tuesday morning, like, that means two different things. Like, or breakfast versus lunch on Wednesday versus Monday. Like, insane unspoken rules. Um, yeah, horrible, horrible process. But like, I came out with the job, so like, yay! <laughs> but just... congratulations, because that sounds like the Hunger Games. Yeah, literally the Hunger Games. Oh. I'm not even kidding. It was horrible. Like back to back to back interviews that were. T- oh, sorry, I forgot to mention they're anywhere between an hour and a half to two hours long. Yeah, each of the interviews. Um, and for some of the firms, I had three days of interviews with them. Um, so it was just, it was insane. It was insane. But it was, it was cool seeing that transition from like, again, like I said, like, why should we hire you to like, who can we, who can we put in front of you to make you choose us? Like they were, some of the firms were so, I felt like the desperation seeping through like the screen or the phone. <laughs> and I was like, okay, guys, like chill. <laughs> That's so funny um, because we have on campus interviews. And the first round is the same thing. It's either on campus or on Zoom. Mm. You do them all in one day. It'll be like back to back to back. You can see the other people that you're up against. But like after that, it's very chill. Like you schedule interviews at your own time and you do have like the three to four rounds and they're like panel interviews with a bunch of attorneys. But it's nothing like you get all of your offers at the same time. You have to schedule for the three days that you have. And you also typically, so let me know if you have different experience, but you're given a week typically to accept. And it is very, very normal to not accept on the spot. Yep. For us too, I know in our OCI process, once you do your applications, if you choose to apply to multiple who are kind of in like the same sphere or like on the same level of firms, I guess, you can do like a pre-bidding process almost. So you personally get to rank the firms based on where you see yourself at and they get access to that later on. So then that is also a contributing factor in their choice and who they give the more advanced interviews to. Because if they're like, if we really like this person, but they ranked us kind of low, like yeah, how like how are we going to make up for that sort of thing? So they kind of know that going into your later rounds and then they can base their decisions off of that because 
sometimes you hear like, oh, this person went to this firm and you're like, why? Like, why did they go to that firm? And then you find out it's because like, oh, they bid it higher than somebody else who maybe has like better grades or whatever. And it's like, they want to choose people who want them. So that's like a really big factor. Yeah. So we kind of had that too, but it was more like unspoken. So when you're scheduling your in-firm interviews, which are like the longer two-hour interviews, you were kind of signaling to the firm where they ranked by scheduling them on like Monday morning versus Tuesday afternoon afternoon. So that yeah, like Monday 8 a.m. Like that was that's the, the spot. If you schedule for a Monday 8 a.m., they're your top. Like they know that because it's just decades long of that process. Um, and that being the pattern. So they kind of knew where they ranked if you were like, if they're the, your last interview of the day at like 4 p.m. So that also put a lot of pressure because I ran up against, again, like I was saying, scheduling conflicts where I wanted to schedule a firm at like 8 a.m. on a Monday, but they didn't have that available because maybe someone else answered the phone right before I did because I was on another call with another firm. Um, and so I had to schedule them later in the day. And so I even had to send emails to the firm after being like, hey, I really wanted to schedule you earlier in the day because I really want to work here. And like, it was just so, the process was insane. Like, absolutely. How is it real? I don't even know how it was real. It seemed like, it just seemed like fake to me. That's like really weird because here the firm tells you when you're interviewing and like even the school is super understanding like when it's OCI season like people understand you're gonna leave class you might show up to class late like if you have a suit on they're like yeah whatever like sit down (laughs) like jump in because they know like the firm tells you when to show up and it's like if you want to work there or not you're going to that interview. Mm -hmm. Yeah that's yeah it was the same too. They tell you when that you're going to show up. You can't just show up like that. Like, they'll literally book you in and you tell them, yeah, like this day, this, that, but not calling all at once. That That's so discouraging. <laughs> it was so bad. Like, within, I think it was like seven minutes. Within seven minutes, all the firms call. Okay, when do you want? Okay, how about this time? No, okay, how about this? It was just seven minutes of, of hell on that day. Just, it was, yeah. And then offer day and all of that was just... I don't, it was an insane process. And everyone was kind of like, we're all in it together, just absolutely wrecked by the end of each day, exhausted for talking, like, because you're talking for eight hours. And, um, but yeah, so that's the formal recruit. And so that's more private practice. There are some government jobs um, that come up through the formal recruit as well. So I think that the majority of people do that, um, the formal recruit and I think a lot of people take it so seriously because I think Sophie mentioned this earlier, like these are firms that you ideally like would want to work at for a long time and at least articling. Um, So I think it's standard practice here at the firms that if you get a 2L job with them, that they'll invite you back for articling. So unless you do something like to royally screw up or they absolutely hate you or something, then maybe you won't get invited back. But the general like consensus is that if you get a job in too well, you're likely going to be invited back for articling and you're likely going to be invited back to be an associate. And that was something that I saw across the board at all the firms I interviewed at. Like I was talking to partners who were like, yeah, I was a summer student here 27 years ago. And even like my boyfriend's uncle was a summer student at his firm 36 years ago, and he's just been there ever since. So I think there's a lot of pressure put on the recruit because of that. But that's not to say that you can't pivot and then do the articling recruit to find something else if you if the place that you worked at was not a good fit for you. 
Um, but yeah, and I think um, Ontario specifically is a lot more competitive than the other um, provinces, like just because we have a lot of law firms here, um, like our seven sister firms are here. The biggest firms in Canada are all in, in my city. Um, so a lot of people come to Toronto and on, Ontario just to um, join the job market here. Um, so it is pretty competitive compared to the rest of Canada. Like I was looking at some statistics and our um, like the job prospect here is rated like moderate, like three out of five, as opposed to other provinces, which are like four out of five or five out of five. Um, but I think it's like, it's pretty okay. I think the job prospects here, I think I was, again, through my research, I saw that um, the amount of people looking for jobs is relatively equal to the amount of job openings that we have here. So it's not, it's not too, too bad. Okay. Well, maybe a dumb question. What is articling? Oh, you don't have that. I'm assuming. You guys oh, don't have that? Yeah. Let me tell you about articling because this will like this piss me off. Like it pisses everyone it's off. It's the best it's- time of your life. Why are you laughing? It's the best time of our lives. No. So you go through law school for three three years, right? And then you graduate law school. And then to become a licensed lawyer, not only do you have to pass the bar. But you have to do your articles, which is you have to work for 10 months at a firm or the government or whatever it is for 10 months. Um, and only then can you become a licensed lawyer. And so before I think it was last year, before last year, the wages for articling students, they weren't regulated. Like We didn't have a minimum wage. So there were articles that were unpaid. Or like severely under a lot of articling students were severely underpaid because we didn't have a regulated minimum wage. And so you had to do articling to even become a licensed lawyer. So there were like tons of students being put in these positions where they had to just be severely underpaid after paying almost 30 grand a year for their tuition in order to become a a practicing lawyer. So, yeah, we have that. (laughs) What in the ever living fuck? Yeah. I'm actually shocked that you guys don't have that, but in Alberta, because now I actually live in Alberta, I'm not in Ontario, that's where I would be called, our articling is eight months instead of ten months, so, so I shut off two months earlier than Liliana would. We don't have any, like, we have to do our summer internships, right? And I think that's pro- that's what your, like, apprenticeship type work is, but then you just take the bar exam. And you can start working right after, but you're not an attorney yet. But it's not like you have to complete a certain amount of time to become an attorney. You're just waiting on your license to come back and be approved. So everyone who works at a private firm is technically a law clerk until they get their license. But you're still paid. Like, I'm still going to be paid at the rate of a big law attorney. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now we have that minimum wage for other um, for other practice areas. If you're going into like big law, it is standard um, for all like the big law firms that we have here. Um, so that that's good. But again, it's like highly competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you got to you got to work for 10 months or you can clerk. Um, so you have a choice or you can do both. Some people do both. Um, I, for one, will not be doing both. <laughs> I don't want to clerk. <laughs> But yeah, gotta work Me for time. Neither. I'll take the eight months and run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of wild. There's somebody who um, graduated right before I started my job last summer, 
And they wanted her to take the Florida bar because nobody was like licensed in Florida at the firm. And she was on the state planning group. And obviously there's like snowbirds, like people who go down mm-hmm. south are old. And so they were like, we'll literally take you, we'll literally pay you to take the Florida bar instead. And wow. she was like, okay. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Yeah. The, a lot of the firms here will pay for the bar, uh, your bar as well. But um and all the license that's so expensive like why why is it so expensive to take the bar exam like uh, as if you didn't already pay an arm and a leg for for school it's just insane but yeah I hate the articling requirement I think it's just such a big hurdle at the end of the road to just be like you finish law school now you have to do this thing for 10 months like but I think part of it is because we aren't required to do like any summer internships or anything like that. So theoretically, someone could go through law school without having any job experience and then write the bar. And then if we didn't have the articling requirement, then just start practicing without having any sort of work experience. So I, I don't think that's good, but to make it a requirement to do like this 10 month long, whatever internship um, kind of sucks, but yeah, I mean, technically, you don't have to have a summer internship here either. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think, but it's like really weird if you don't ever work. In yeah, the that's weird to me. If anyone doesn't do a summer internship, it is like a flag to everyone that they're not actually ever going to practice as a lawyer. And they're not serious about it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, the worst part about articling is you have to pay to be a part of the articling program. <gasps> Literally. Yeah. I was looking at the fees just the other day. I paid it over the Christmas break. I was like, yeah, here's How another like thousand dollars or whatever. 2,500 or whatever. 2,300. Liliana, the way that I closed my eyes and I just searched my credit card. I didn't even want to look, please. <laughs> I didn't want to look. I, I'm not looking at my credit card statements for the next like four or five months because I, this is oh the last year. So it's like, I didn't even buy the textbooks yet. And the money is already, it's already adding up. So I just it's closed my eyes. It went, it went through. It went yeah. through. I got the confirmation. But how much it was, I don't even want to know. Yeah. And like, they do it on you purpose. are finding your own job, right? Like, it's not, if, if the law school were like connecting you to employers and blah, blah, maybe then I could justify some sort of cost. But you are finding your own job. Like you, that's crazy. You're seeking, you're paying like $2,300 to find your own job that you need, like to fulfill a requirement that you need in order to be a lawyer. It's like, (laughs) what? I need like a reality TV show following Canadian law school. (gasps) You need need to start talking about this because I remember when you were going through your interviews. And I was watching you like after your like daily recap. You were stressed. You were so stressed. But it makes sense. I'm like, yeah. I'm not doing this again for articling. Like, I'm just not. I need my job to be secured. <laughs> oh, I'm no, but that's why as soon as I started working for the lawyer that I worked for back home in Canada, I told her from day one, I was like, listen, I want an article here. I want this here. She was like, oh, you're straight up. I was like, Mm-mm, we're not yeah. wasting I'm not playing around. around. I'm, well, you know so I'm like, gonna okay. make I'm gonna make that content because I didn't know that articling wasn't a requirement in the US. No, not at all. <laughs> I need to make this thank you for the content inspo. Look at me. I was feeling like uninspired and kind of directionless. And now I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about articling. <laughs> nice pop off. Okay, that's a good transition into talking about social media and like law talk and stuff. Um 
So a couple questions on that is like, what motivated you guys to like start talking about law school and I mean, building platforms about law school? Um, Charlie, if you want to talk, I feel like I've been talking for this. <laughs> it's okay. Honestly, truthfully, mine started on a whim. I, even when I got my law school applic- like acceptance, I was kind of looking at it. Like, did I really get accepted? Like, am I really going to do this? And then I started talking about it with my friends. And then I started talking, they started talking about it with more friends. And then my DMs, when I would go in my requests, there would be students being like, hey, like, I see that you're a Canadian and like you're in law school here and you're doing this and you're doing that. And like, I see you're traveling. And then like, because originally my TikTok was mainly supposed to be about travel. But then so many law students would come to me and ask me stuff. And I was like, okay, maybe I should talk about this. Maybe I should like, you know, like put it out there. So then that's how I really started. And like, to be honest with you, like, even when I look at my following, most of the students that I follow are from the States. There's not that many students from Canada. Like even the last bit, I got invited to speak at another event. And she's like, the main reason why we chose you to speak at this is my is because you're actually Canadian. A lot of the content that she was following on were all American. So that's how I really, I really got onto it. But it wasn't, it wasn't my original plan. It was not, I was definitely going to be a travel influencer. That's definitely what I wanted to do. And then slowly but surely, law school became my personality. And now I can't stop. <laughs> That's literally how I ended up here. Yeah, I feel like I have a similar story to you, Charlie. I was just like, huh, like, why not just make content about law school? I feel like at the beginning of my content, I was like, okay, I need to find a niche, right? Like, and law school is my niche. Um, and then quite quickly, I became very uninspired to create content because I feel like the content that I was consuming on Law Talk was like, how to do your readings and how to do this and how to stay on top of everything. I'm like, I'm barely alive. Like, I can't, I can't be a Law Talk content. I don't even do my readings half the time. I'm like on the couch rotting away. Episode seven of Ginny and Georgia haven't gotten off the couch in seven hours. Like, how am I going to like what credentials do I have to be making content about like how to be a law student? How da, 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 da. And so like this year, I really want to transition into making content that's just more about like my life. And part of my life happens to be that like I'm in law school and I'm a law student. Um, and I think that that just gets me more excited. Like I find that I'm more in, like motivated to make content that's just about me, whether that is about law school or my classes or my readings, or it's about like a concert that I went to or like what I want to buy this year, like a new luggage, like just stuff like that um, and not be kind of constrained by a niche. So I think those are my 2023 goals. Um, and like all of your content really it inspires me, you guys. Like I just, you guys are thriving on social media and I'm just really trying to get like y'all and, you know, grow my followers. And I, I love my little base that I have. Like I, I find that I have like a few, more than a few followers that are like really, um, involved and um are very active on my TikTok and like Charlie I get a lot of questions about um being a law student and like how do you apply and like I'm helping a ton of Canadian undergrad students which I didn't think I would be doing I thought my content would be more like interacting um like law student to law student but a lot I have a lot of undergrads in my DMs like help me like read over my resume and like can can we have a phone call? So I've had phone calls with my followers and like just giving advice and reading over cover letters or like law school applications. Um, always happy to do that. Um, but yeah, Charlie's right. Like a lot of the content creators like 
on Law Talk are American. Like there aren't a ton of Canadian law students on there. Like we do have a handful of Canadian lawyers. Um, like Jules, the lawyer, is one of my faves. Love her. Um, but yeah, she's Same. A yeah, Jules, <laughs> Jules the lawyer. Jules, I only know of two. Jules the lawyer and um Chantal. Chantal, who went to Bond University, who's in family yeah. that works at Bay Street. Those are the only two, but other than that. I actually don't know of nope. that many that are on TikTok. Yeah. Yeah, same. And I was like, am I just not engaging enough with Canadian content? So I was like looking, doing a search. I'm like, there aren't really many law students making content. Maybe because they're all too busy, like, articling and trying to <laughs> yeah, yeah. on safe jobs. <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely feel that on, like, the certain type of content things. Like, sometimes oh, yeah. almost like, this is how much reading I have for the week, but I'm I don't really post the like, here's me reading my stuff because honestly, that just makes my readings take so much longer. And I'm not trying to sacrifice my time when I need to be doing school. So yeah. I think that's also why I do like so many more talking videos because I can literally just talk for like a minute straight and then just post it. And I don't <laughs> put any thought into it. Yeah. For sure. Like the con I want to watch relatable content. Like I want to know that other people are out here struggling with me, you know, struggling to like make their meals and eat healthy and get exercise and their sleep schedules are messed up. And maybe they didn't do the readings they were supposed to, or they didn't study super hard for their final because they were so burnt out. Like that's what I want to be engaging with. And also like, what do you guys do in your spare time? Like, so, you know, visiting with your family and like talking about your little brother. Like, I love that. I love just hearing that. Or like Brienne, you like going out with your your hometown friends and stuff. Like I just like I love that. We love Soph's little brother on this podcast. <laughs> we do love my little brother. <laughs> I do like I do wish more creators would talk, more law talk creators would talk about the other things that they do. And I almost like I feel like whenever anyone makes a vlog they make it on like a school day or like a day where they have so much to do for school it's like I just want to know what you guys are doing to make your brain not want to like um while you're not in school (laughs) because that's what I that's the advice (laughs) yeah yes thank you like what are you doing on a Saturday afternoon like you already read for all of your seven classes yesterday. So what are you doing today? Like I just want to know. Like, mm-hmm. God. Well, that's taken the usual turn this podcast takes. But it just gets like really existential and depressing at the end. Um, From talking about overpriced chicken to. <laughs> The housing market crash. Like I don't even know how we got here. But I can't I don't know how we got here. <laughs> this has been such an interesting conversation. I can't believe how different the Canadian system is than the US. I knew a little bit about the UK system just because I used to watch a ton of British law students on YouTube, but it is still really interesting. So thank you guys so much for coming on. Yes, so thank you. Us. It's our pleasure been great getting to know you all outside of watching your beautiful faces on my phone screen yeah all of our personal relationships (laughs) (laughs) oh I love this thank you guys 
that's all for this week's episode of the in-laws make sure to follow us on instagram at the in-laws pod we post these full-length episodes every wednesday morning at 7 a.m eastern time so make sure to follow and rate the podcast through whichever streaming service you're listening to and don't forget to follow charlie and liliana on tiktok at legally charlie and at most tavern talk to you next week Bye. bye 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 everyone